I really get the sense this morning just to spend a bit of time um, reflecting on the Word of God, specifically Psalm 51, which, which is a prayer that was prayed by David, a prayer of repentance. Um, it's very important that when we come into God's presence that we recognize our sin. You know, the Bible says that we were all born into sin, and sin is the reason why Jesus died on the cross in order to remove sin and to take us from a position of darkness where sin and everything about sin exists into a position of light. And this prayer um, that um, was written by David is a very personalized prayer, and it's something that I try to pray on a daily basis. And I want us to pray this very prayer um, because we can never and we should never ever be in a position of taking uh, our lives when it comes to sin for granted. You know, the first thing when Jesus um, began to preach, the first word he said was repent for the kingdom of God is coming. And we know repentance is not just about um, changing your direction, but repentance is also about repentance, turning away from sin, turning away from things that before God are wrong. And it's important that on a daily basis that we get into the habit of doing this. Okay? So I'm just going to read through, and as I read it, I want to encourage us to, to have this as a prayer and personalize this prayer. Um, I don't know if, it's, if you guys are able to get it on the screen. Psalm 51. I'm reading from the New, New Living Translation uh, version. Okay, so just uh, go with me as I read this. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. As I'm saying this again, personalize this for yourself. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and only you have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. You, God, will prove right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your, of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion. In fact, replace that and put your own name. 
Look with favor on Mecca. Look with favor on every name that is in this room and is online and help him and her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then the boars will again be sacrificed on your altar. So Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity to come before you in repentance, acknowledging our sin, recognizing that the blood that you shed on Calvary has cleansed and washed us and allowed us to be in right standing with you. So Father, we thank you for your cleansing. We thank you for purifying us. We thank you that you've given us hearts of repentance and that before you that we are in right standing. So Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise and we say thank you, Father. Receive the glory. We bless you. We bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. 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 Worship team, thank you guys. You may take your seats. And once again, a very warm morning to all of you who are here. Uh, Daddy Amaya, it's lovely to have you. Bless you. It's good to see you. Uh, Daniel and Tara, thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully, it won't be a one-off. You guys can come. I know Tara, you're relatively local. So it's good to, it's good to, uh, to see you guys and bless you all. And as for the rest of you that are wearing orange, I won't even comment. I won't even comment on, on the colors that you, um, Jadia, I'm surprised you're not wearing orange yourself, but okay, you've got the other badge on. Okay, that's fine. Come, come 10 o'clock this evening, we'll, we'll see what we'll, what's happening. Those of you that don't know, I won't say anything now. It's not the time to be speaking. It's not the time to be speaking about such things. Anyway, we thank God for another day. Amen. Okay. Now, before I go into the word, I just want to remind us um, about our mission and vision of the church. Now, corporately, our vision is that we are making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and it's something that every single one of us has been created to do. We are all to make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ in whatever capacity. It doesn't matter whether you're old, you're young, you're a student, you're working, it doesn't matter what it is. Every single one of us is called to make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that we have to make sure that in our lifestyle that we are incorporating and we're doing. But also, um, locally, our, our, our vision also locally is to be ready for the Lord's return. Now, who knows that Jesus is coming again? Everyone knows that. But no one knows when Jesus is returning. The Bible says that even Jesus himself doesn't know. Only one that knows is God the Father. And as a church, everything that we try to do is to help us to try to be ready for when Jesus himself returns. So, in light of that, there's a few things I want to say. You know, when Jesus does return, the interesting thing is this, that the Bible speaks about Jesus as the Lamb of God, as we know. He's the Lamb of God, but at the same time, that very Jesus is also, the Bible describes as a consuming fire so when jesus comes and he returns to take his children home with him the way that at times we are taught about jesus in the bible and the way that we're taught about jesus just on i guess on a on a, on a how can i say just generally when he comes he's coming as a righteous judge so when he's coming at times some people may not recognize 
who Jesus is. Because they're so used to Jesus showing his grace, showing his love, showing his mercy. And we know that that is, that is all central to the character of Jesus. But when he returns, he's coming as a righteous judge. And in that form when he comes, as I said, some of us may not even recognize who he is. So it's important that as children of God, that we remain connected to the Lord in such a way so that when the Lord does arrive, we're not passed by. You know, I had a dream about a week or so ago. And this dream really, really frightened me. And the dream was this. The dream was that the rapture had taken place. Jesus had come. And I was, I remember I was in a certain location in London. And I was just walking and I remember in an instant the rapture took place. And I looked around and people were gone. But lo and behold, I was still here. So I had not been taken. And I remember in that moment I was panicking, thinking, Lord, what have I not been doing that I should be doing? Why on earth am I still here? So I remember as I was going through those things, everything around me began to, there was chaos. I remember it was like explosions taking place. Uh, it just like it was a, a moment of calm and then everything went into chaos. And I was just in the midst of this chaos thinking, I cannot believe I'm still here. Then I remember there was, as I said, there were explosions and everything. And I remember at that point I said to myself, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I want to die. And I was praying, God, in your mercy, if I die, just take me. So I remember I saw there was an explosion somewhere and I ran towards the explosion on purpose in order to, be, to, to die. And I remember the explosion hit me and then I must have died because I was in another place somewhere. And I remember in this place, it was just, I was, it was myself and it was somebody else, but I couldn't see their face. And then we were trying to do something in order to, to kind of meet with Jesus. And then I woke up. Now, after the dream, I said, Lord, <laughs> that was not a very nice dream at all because the rapture came and I missed it. So then I was asking, Lord, what was it that I was doing or not doing that in this dream caused me to miss the rapture? And then the Lord gave me the title of this word. And the title of this word is called Godliness. Turn to the person next to you and say, Godliness. Now, it would, it would appear that I had not been living a life of godliness, which was the reason why I missed the rapture. And that's a separate conversation myself and the Lord are having about <laughs> this whole thing. But I was so impressed to share this word about godliness because godliness is such an important aspect of our lives as children of God. And there's no higher compliment that the Lord can pay to somebody other than calling them a godly person. If you read the scriptures, <clears throat> many references in the Bible about people being referred to as godly. And the interesting thing is that in the Bible, there's, there's godly with a capital G, and then there's godly with a small g. The capital G is referring to God himself, God the Father. But the small g is talking about where we make ourselves 
godly in our own version, which is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about godly where we represent our Father. Because as I go into this word, if you're going to remember anything about godly, remember this. When you are godly, you are simply being like your heavenly Father. That is, that is the very essence of it. And as I go into this word, I'm going to be you know, speaking about things, showing uh, scriptures about the godliness, the characteristics of God himself. But if somebody says they are godly, if you are believing that you're godly, it means that you are demonstrating being like your heavenly father. And the same applies to the opposite. If somebody said that somebody is ungodly, it means that they are being the opposite to their heavenly father. Any of us that have children and let's say our child behaves in a particular way, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody will say, oh, they're just like their dad or they're just like their mom. And that's a demonstration of that child behaving like their parent. And that is an example on a human level of godliness because your child is demonstrating your characteristics. And hopefully it's the good side, not the, the negative side. But when you're godly, you're showing the example, or you're showing examples of how your heavenly father is in how you live, in how you function, in how you operate. Amen? So I mentioned before the word godly or godliness, that it appears um, not many times, to be honest, especially in the New Testament. But the entire Bible, really and truly, is a book on godliness. And I'll give different examples. You know, one thing that I, I appreciate about uh, people, people that, that I say that I can gel with, speak with, and, you know, just be yourself with. And I'm sure that people, yourselves would agree. Anybody that is very just real, open, people who are transparent about how they are, about how, what's happening with them, etc. It's very easy to relate to such people. And there's an element of godliness there that I'll, I'll go into a bit later, you know. And in terms of that type of characteristic in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, I would say, is one of the people that really demonstrates this characteristic because Paul was very real. What you saw with Paul, the Apostle Paul, is what you got. Paul would look in your face and tell you that you're being wrong. He'll tell you a lying. He would tell you that how you speak, etc., is not good. But at the same time, he would tell you that, you know, you're doing so well. He will compliment you on how you're doing. So in any situation, you would always know where you stand when it comes to Paul. And that is, uh, as I said, an example of somebody who demonstrates the essence of, of godliness. So one of the things about Paul, I'm going to speak about different uh, characters in the Bible, and I'm going to begin with Paul. Paul explains that the essence of Christian life is a lot about how you deal with your inner battles. Every one of us, we have inner battles. If it's about insecurity, if it's about having faith in God, trusting God for certain things, there are all these inner battles that every single one of us goes through. And if you read the uh, New Testament and read uh, Paul's books, Paul speaks a lot about his own inner battles. You know, he mentions about you know, the thorn in his side. This thing, this issue that he had that he wanted God to take away from him. And God said, no, keep it because my grace is sufficient. That As you go through that, but those battles, 
it's going to remind you that that those battles you go through is God is you you know you is the Father God the Father is the one he should look to not to himself not to his friends not to anybody else but it's God that he should look to to remind him that he should always rely on God etc. So he focused a lot on godliness. The scripture in Titus chapter two verse eleven to thirteen, and it says, it speaks about it says about live a self-controlled, and upright, and godly life as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus. You know the apostle Paul. Again, using him as an example of somebody who was godly. He was so mindful of living in a way that represented his father that even when he went through things, that's, if some of us went through similar things, we would literally be losing our heads. He was still focused on honoring God. You know, there's a story in the Bible about Paul where up to 40 people, 4-0, made a vow that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Because Paul, as we know, initially he was trying to destroy the church. God, Jesus spoke to him. He was converted. He became saved. He now transitioned his whole life from now trying to destroy the church to now advance the church. Because now he became a Christian. So people couldn't understand that somebody that was so rebellious against God is now working for God. So they didn't know where they stood. So he was, as we know, Paul was sold out to advance the kingdom of God. So during the time where there was this transition and people were trying to work him out and not accepting his message of the gospel, 40 people, imagine, came together and said, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until we have killed Paul. They made that vow. So clearly, all of those people, they died of starvation because we know that Paul carried on living. But how would you live if you knew that even just one person made a vow. It's all, I'm not going to eat or drink until I finish your life. How would you feel if you knew that that was the case? But see, what kept Paul was this stance of godliness. Paul was deliberate to be connected to God. He didn't focus about hearing that 40 people wanted to destroy his life, that they made a vow. Because let's be honest, if that was our focus, most of us will probably even die of depression before they even come and kill us. But his focus was on his father. Godliness. So Paul took personal responsibility for living godly. And there was no special talent that Paul needed. As I said, his focus was on the Lord. I want to read a, ver- a portion of scripture now. I'm going to shift on from away from Paul and focus on David. I want us to read from Psalms 119. Now this portion of scripture is going to help you to now begin to paint the picture of what godliness represents and we're looking now at king david you know none of us need any special talent or equipment to be godly 
God is not going to give us a particular tool and say, yeah, now take this. Now you have that, you're going to be godly. It's not like that. But what we do need, and it's got to be exampled in these portions of scripture, is that we need to have a genuine heart to know God for himself. And that was the very essence of David. David had a genuine heart to know God. David's story, as we know, David went through so many things, so many battles, committed adultery, murdered. But yet his heart was to know God. So let's read Psalms 119. I'm using again the New Living Translation. And I'm going to jump from different scriptures. So beginning with uh, verse 1, Psalm 119, verse 1. It says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Let's stop there. Joyful are people of integrity. Integrity means that in the secret place that you still honor God. When people are not looking and you know that, you know, maybe you can just do something that will benefit you, but even maybe God may not approve of it, but because, you know, nobody's looking. But integrity tells you no, because God is watching. And Paul said, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. If you live a life of integrity and if you follow the instructions of the Lord, you are demonstrating an attribute of godliness. And this is what uh, um, David is doing here. Integrity, obeying the instructions of the Lord. Verse 2, it says, Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their heart. If you obey the word of God, and if you search for the Lord of all your heart, you are demonstrating living as a godly person. Verse 3 said, They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. Again, if you do not compromise with evil, because at times it is very easy to compromise with evil. You could be in a situation where you know that you have a decision to make. And to benefit yourself, you can just twist the truth. That is an example of compromising with evil. But the Bible says, if you do not compromise with evil, and you walk only in his ways, you are demonstrating godliness. Verse 4 says, you have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Verse 5, all that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Look at that. This is David saying to God, let my actions demonstrate your word. So when you read, read the word of God, in other words, how he lives is an example of what the word of God says. Can we say that about ourselves? By his grace, I pray that I can say that. That what the word of God says about how to live as a child of God, how I live is an example or a demonstration of such thing. This is what David is saying. And again, this is the example of being godly. Verse 9. See, our young people, they've gone to Sunday school. But this way it says, says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. By his grace, we're all at a certain age. But the Bible says, if you want to stay pure, will you obey the word of God? 
if you want to be a godly person, stay impure. We obey the word of God. In verse 11, this very famous scripture says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, to sin is quite easy. It doesn't take a lot for many of us to sin. You could be sitting here listening to me right now and you're sinning. Because your mind is somewhere entertaining something that you shouldn't be. Or you're thinking about a particular person that did something to you and you're planning how you're going to get them back because of what they did. That's how sin works. You could be sitting here, I'm talking right now, and you are sinning as you are sitting there. But there's an antidote in Psalms 119 verse 11 to counter against sin. And it says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you and I want to be godly, we want to steer away from sin, it says here, hide God's word. Where? In your heart. Your heart is the very center of you. It's where everything in your life takes place. It's where all your hidden agendas, all the things that are, that are uh, you know, of value to you, the things that concern you, the things that offend you, the things that are of total concern to you, is here. It's in your heart. It's not in your head because the head is just stores the information. But how you decide the things that are about your life, it comes from your heart. And the Bible says that if the word of God is hidden in there, with all the things you're going through, the word of God will shape everything around you to ensure that you will not sin against him. But the question is this, how many of us allow God's word to shape our hearts? Do we read God's word like it's a magazine? You know, you just read it. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's the, oh, okay, interesting. Mm. And then we go about our business. The Bible said that when we read the word of God, it should be like a mirror. When you look in the mirror, you're seeing yourself. When you look and see yourself and you're seeing your reflection in a way that you're thinking, boy, okay, your hair's going this way. Those of us that have hair anyway, your, 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 your face is looking a bit funny. The mirror is telling you, okay, you need to address what you're seeing. So then by looking in the mirror, you can then address whatever you need to. If your lips are dry, you can clean your lips. If you have fluff on your face, you can remove the fluff. You know, sometimes you go about your day, you know, you've got some big bogey in your nose. And then when you go in the mirror, you see it. You go, oh, my day. Oh, the whole day I've had this, you didn't realize. Because the mirror has told you what's there. And you can fix it. That's what the word of God does. So as you read God's word, you then see, okay, ah, I'm doing this. But the word says this. I need to change. But the word needs to be in our hearts. So the Bible says that so did we not sin against him. Verse 15, it said, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. Many of us, we have studied, or we're studying. We're students. I think every single one of us, we're students of life. Because you never stop learning when it comes to life. But the Bible said that I study your commands. God wants us to study his word. And reflect on his ways. And as we do so, you are behaving like a godly person.
So study the word of God. Reflect on the word of God in order to be a godly person. Verse 16 says, and I would delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Again, David is talking with wisdom. As you live your life and as you delight in the word of God, you will not forget his word. This again is an example of how to be a godly person. Amen? Verse 24 now says, Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. Verse 29, Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. This is the word of God I'm reading. It's not, I haven't, this is just a different version. The New Living Translation, verse 29, I'll say it again. Keep me from lying to myself. This is David speaking to God about himself because he recognized that at times he doesn't tell the truth about himself. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, when it comes to how we are, we do not tell the truth about ourselves to God because we lie to ourselves at times. It may not be all the time. It may not be most of the time. But on occasions, we lie to God about ourselves. But then even before that, we lie to ourselves. And that's why David is saying, keep me from lying to myself. So let me give you an example. If you know that you're not very generous, let's say, and then somebody comes to you, and points out that actually, you know what, you don't really, you know, give, you know, when things happen, you don't really give, etc. Deep down, you know that you're not very generous. But then when the person has highlighted, highlighted that thing to you, you now become defensive. What do you mean? You told you, I, do you remember what I did last week? What did I do the week before? Blah, 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 etc. So you're there just being deflective, just being defensive. But within you, you know there's something there that's saying to you, yeah, you know what? They're right. I'm not very generous. The Holy Spirit will whisper to you. But then what do we do? We convince ourselves, actually, no, who told you? No, I'm, I'm very generous. That's an example of where we lie to ourselves. Now, God has a way of, of bringing things to light in our lives that in a way that at times that, you know, it doesn't feel very nice. But it's the truth. You know, the saying says that the truth hurts. But at the same time, the scripture says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So it's important that when we understand about our lives, things about our lives, that God may highlight, ensure that you're not lying to yourself. It's very important to recognize how we are in whatever situation that we're in so that we know the truth and we can receive freedom. So they would say, keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instruction. Verse 39 now says, help me abandon my shameful ways for your regulations are good. Verse 58, with all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promised. Got a time, I'll just go through a few others. Verse 72 said, your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. If you want to be godly, recognize 
God's instruction from his word. And David here was recognizing that compared to the value of gold and silver, to receive instructions from God was more valuable to him because he recognized that as the Lord shows him what to do, as he receives guidance and direction from the Lord, that had more significance than the value of gold or silver. And if we want to live as godly people, we need to recognize that godliness, part of godliness, is allowing the Lord to direct your steps, to give you instructions. Verse 74 said, May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. Again, putting the, your hope in the word of God enables you to be godly. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light for my path. Again, echoing what I said before about the word of God, giving direction. I want to summarize because time is going very quickly. So in your own time, you can read Psalms 119. It's the longest uh, um, chapter of a book in the Bible. But there are so many things in there that demonstrate an example about being godly and how to be godly. And it's one of the reasons why the Bible describes David as a man after his own heart. When you read these versions of scripture, you recognize exactly why God called David a man after his own heart. Because David was so uh, um, desirous to be connected to God in such a way with his heart. So these are examples of godliness. So godliness, and I want to say a few things that I want to pray. Godliness is lived out, is demonstrated. Godliness has fruits that show, and the scripture that we just read in Psalms 119, they almost like demonstrate the fruits of godliness. If somebody says that they're godly, it's shown, it's evidenced. If there was a tree in here and it had apples on it, you would know it's an apple tree because of the apples. And it's the same as godliness. If we are saying we are godly, it's evidenced. We show it in how we live, in how we behave. But godliness, is, as, as mentioned in the scriptures, is a mix of so many different things, so many different ingredients. And part of it refers to a few things I'm going to mention now. Godliness includes being sincere. It includes being committed to God. There's a commitment that you have to him that is unwavering. You don't just give up on your walk with God because you didn't get a particular thing. You are committed. That is all part of godliness. There's a reverence that you have, a respectful fear that you have for God. That is part of being godly. There are things that you look at and think, you know what, I cannot do this because I want to be godly before God. I want to honor him. That is all part of being godly. And it's responding from our worship of Christ, our worship of him, with an authentic desire to know him in a greater way. That is all part of being godly. You know, one of the ways to really appreciate godliness is also to look at what it means to be ungodly. And very quickly, I'm going to share something and then I want to uh, pray. Ungodliness is the opposite of all that I've just said. Ungodliness simply is being without God. It's being separated from God. 
is living in a strange life, separated. You don't fear God. You don't reverence God. You don't have respect for him. That is an example, example of what it means to be ungodly. And if we go back to the first uh, encounter of sin within the Bible, we recognize that how the enemy was so deliberate in how he got Eve to sin. I've got time, I don't want to go into it too much, but I'll just simply explain this. God created Adam and Eve, as we know. At that time, sin did not exist. He created Adam, he created Eve. He put them in the garden, gave them instructions, told them to look after the garden, enjoy everything. But one thing, do not touch this particular tree. We know Satan came in the form of a serpent and spoke to them and then twisted what God said to them. Did God really say that you shouldn't enjoy this particular tree? Now, the interesting thing is this. God gave both Adam and Eve instructions, told them they could enjoy every single thing. But then when Satan came, Satan highlighted the thing that they couldn't have to be more important than the things that they actually had. And that is one thing that the enemy does to us on many occasions. Rather than enjoying and appreciating the very thing that God has given to you, at times we focus on what we don't have. And what we don't have becomes an idol to us. And I'm saying that to say this. All this talk that I've been talking about godliness, we need to recognize how the enemy will try to work. If he would get you to focus on what you don't have, if he would get you to, to not appreciate what you have, he is causing you to live a life of ungodliness because you're not appreciating the very things that God has given to you. So I want to encourage you, look at your life. Yes, there may be things that are not perfect. Yes, there may be things that you're lacking. Yes, there may be things where it's like, you know, you're in a certain position and you think you believe you should be somewhere else. But thank God for what you have. Thank God for where you are. Thank God for what God has placed inside of you. Thank God for the strength that he's given to you. you now, many of you know that last week I wasn't well. I don't want to go into it, but at one point, <laughs> I was vomiting like there was no tomorrow. I think I had no strength at all. I thank God that I can stand here now and speak, because last week I couldn't stand up. So there are things that God has given to each one of us that we need to just say, Lord, I thank you for what you've given to me. Thank you. And that is a major example of what it means to be godly because you are shifting your focus from yourself and you're putting your focus on him. Remember, godliness at the core of it means that you're being like your heavenly father. And this morning, I want to encourage you that in all that you're doing, that you would allow yourself to demonstrate the characteristics of your father in all that you do. Amen. I was about, just bow your heads right now. I want you to pray. And I know I, we prayed um, Psalm 51 earlier on. But in a similar vein, I want you just to ask the Lord for forgiveness where you recognize that you have not been behaving like your heavenly father. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, the little that I've heard so far about what it means to be godly, looking at Psalm 119, Lord, I recognize where I have not been godly where I have not demonstrated you as my father. Lord, forgive me and help me. Have mercy on me. Thank you, Father. 
But now, now I want you to pray and ask the Lord to increase you with the grace of godliness. That in your life that you will begin to live a life of godliness. A life that is committed to honoring him. That the word of God will be written in your heart. Just like King David has said in his word. That you will live a life that is separated unto him. Respecting and reverencing him in all that you do. So Father, we just commit ourselves before you this morning. And Lord, we are asking that you would increase us with the grace to be godly. Help us to live lives of godliness. To bless you. To draw closer to you. Father, I lift up each one of your children before you this morning. And those online. And I pray that Lord, where we have been battling to live lives of godliness... I ask and pray that you will help us to be godly before you. Cause your word to be written in our hearts so we will not sin against you. Help us, O oh God, to allow your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Help us, O oh God, in our areas of struggle. That, Lord, that we will not lie to ourselves about ourselves. But, Lord, that we will be honest as you lead us by your spirit. And you will help us with our battles, with our struggles. That we'll surrender all to you and that you will favor us to honor you. So that when you return, oh God, we will not miss on the return that you will take place when you come again. So Father, we thank you. Say, Lord, have your way and take control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.